Hello, hello, and welcome to Hospitality and the Infinite Game, a podcast series focused on answering one simple question. What type of hospitality industry do we actually want to create? In these episodes, Michael and David discuss big ideas that might set the foundation for a different model of success. A model which would allow us to piece together a bold new way forward, where our businesses can thrive whilst making a positive impact on people, communities and the planet. We make no claims to have all the answers, far from it in fact, but we hope these conversations might just get you thinking. We are learning and hopefully you'll learn with us. So join us. The game is afoot and it's an infinite one. Hey Michael, good to see you again. How are you doing? I'm doing well, David. And yourself, you have been on a little drive this morning. I know, I know. Coming back down to to Brighton, I forgot how much Brighton does not like the car. (laughs) Um, It was, uh, yeah, it was fun finding parking around here. But anyway, we're here. We're ready to record um, another another session for hospitality in the Infinite Game. So welcome back to anyone who's caught the first three episodes. Hope you're enjoying it so far. Today, we are talking about There Is No Planet B by Mike Bernard. Lee. Uh, it's a book some of you may have come across. Um, he is a consultant, thinker, writer, researcher on sustainability and uh, kind of responses to the 21st century challenges. Um, and it was just one we picked as being a kind of core text on sustainability, this whole climate change thing. Um, and we wanted to dig into it today and just see what that means for hospitality. So, Michael, what do you think? So yeah, the no no planet uh, B I I think I read it about two years ago, and already at that point we had an imminent need for doing something. And uh, I know right now in, in the time we live in, there's a lot of people that feel like you know we haven't been traveling, we've used the carless, we used the trainless, and we haven't had this impact on the planet the last six months we normally would have, which is all good, but it's not enough. Also, if you read the facts of what. Mike says is mm. that we are going towards a uh, climate catastrophe in principle and it's never nice to get the brutal facts in life no. but the r- great thing about Mike's works is that what I really like I really like facts and I really like when there's some data behind it mm. and he's done all the data work and how that this impacts you know food supply travel uh, energy consumption how we live our life how we use material things clothing and so on and so on so he's done all the research on that and he's one of the most leading scientists on this area and and there's no doubt about you know we we say we have now changed forever so it's now make it or break it in Mm. principle when it comes to the environment because i have said to you before we start recording here we now we have you know we have the pandemic then we're gonna probably have a recession spiced with from a UK point of view with some Brexit. Oh yeah. As a next wave. And then we probably also have, you know, beside cash issue, we might have some mental health challenges coming towards as well. Um and then we're probably gonna see that we are not done with dealing with uh, the beast of climate change mm-hmm. will will impact our lives and the way we do business as well. So so what we can do now is what Mike says as well we can do a lot of things to stop the planet uh, planet dissolving. And uh, David Attenbury has put out a movie. If you haven't seen it yet, it's uh, it's one where you need to be in the right mindset because it's quite heavy in the end. Is that the one on, on Netflix that's yeah, come the, out recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it makes you feel uh, a bit scared for your children. Yeah. 
<laughs> if you have any of those. I think he's going he's going increasingly hard on the activism front, isn't it? Yeah. As he gets uh, as he gets older and older. I mean, obviously he's ninety three now, so he's yeah. he's uh, he's got quite a lot of experience. But uh, yeah, and I think it's uh, it, I, I'm fascinated. Sorry to interrupt. I'm fascinated by that whole point around the kind of the hope and despair, because I do think there is a large part around climate change where sometimes. I mean, I've probably definitely suffered from it. I almost don't want to think about it because yep. it's just so big and so complex and in a way a, a hugely inconvenient problem. I mean, Al Gore had that documentary, The Inconvenient Truth. I mean, that must, Jesus, what, that would be 20 years old now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the the inconvenience of that hasn't changed. The reality is I would love to just be able to carry on business as usual everything is hard enough just trying to make things work do we really have to try and get involved and solve with this this thing too and i guess it's probably worth pointing out it's not going to be our job on this episode here to try and convince people who don't believe in climate change that's a i mean probably not within our our skill set and our intelligence to, to to understand all of the arguments to do that but i guess we have to assume that people listening to this have um, uh, a sympathy um, and an understanding that this problem is real and there is a challenge there and really what we're trying to explore by looking at this book is what some of those strategies and I know you were really looking at how that really might affect hospitality and maybe what core strategies and decisions we we need to make to to try and put us on that right path and make us feel like we are doing doing enough I suppose would you say that's fair? Yeah, and I think I think that that's spot on, David. And I think I think the interesting thing with Mike also says in the book is that uh, we have over, you know, especially after the Second World War when the Industrial Revolution mm-hmm. started, we have accumulated, you know, power as human being, what we can do, and there's been no limits, and there is no limits anymore. But the, all every time we become more efficient, better, we we, we do production, we start new industries that has an impact on the planet. And we can't keep on just impacting that. That's what he says. The yeah. data says that the client, there is a tipping point where the, the, the planet will break. And I actually think David Attenborough, actually in his movie, uh, actually makes it even more clear. It's, he tells talks about 2080. It's where you see parts of the, the planet is unlivable. Mm. You can't have you know living mm-hmm. life there. Uh, but what, what Mike says, yes, it is not a good place we're in, and uh, but we can do something. Everybody can do a little bit yeah. without, like you said, the inconvenience of changing our life radically and just getting on with business. We can actually do a little bit, everyone, uh, every day mm. if we start changing behavior because he talks about it's behaviors that need to change. But before you can change behaviors, you need to have an understanding of where you are yeah, and what those small thing actually means in, in the bigger scheme. And that is when you read through the book, what he does. He does he states the problem, but he also comes up with a very simple checklist of what you can do. You can actually go and do some actions yeah. after reading that book. And that's why I like it as well. Yeah. Um, well, hit me, hit me, hit me with some of your actions. Good. So, so, uh, so as I said a bit like before, we as, as, as a, a world species, we are using more and more energy mm. in principle. That's the problem. We have to generate more and more energy to do all the things we want to do to live our life. Mm. That has an amazing, incredible uh, impact on our planet, both good. We are developing growth, but that growth has a, uh, a negative impact on the climate. Mm. Um, and uh, we can't keep on, as I said, 
tapping away at the planet. It's a bit like a bank account. Mm. You can't keep on drawing on it. One day the money runs out. Yeah, we thought we thought the endowment would last forever, but it it turns <laughs> out we're spending it pretty fast. Now. Yeah. So 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 the book is very there's a lot of subjects in there and I already mentioned a lot of them. I think we will touch on something that's relevant for hospitality. We'll mm. talk a bit about, you know, food, uh, approach to to growth. Uh we'll talk about, you know, on work, people at work, how mm. you know you create work environment and what that can impact positively on on the planet. And then also uh, business and maybe a bit about values as well and uh, and trust in the end. Um, so food is something, you know, we all consume every day. And hospitality, we sell it to people that consume it and there's three meals a day. And actually, he says, we have to start with food. That's where we can make the biggest impact. He said almost up to a third of the energy consumption we use in the world comes from food. We're actually overproducing the amount of calories we need as individual. Uh, and uh, so I think it's almost a double of what we need as a human human beings mm. is, is consumed every day. So he said, let's, let's start looking at how we change the way we eat in principle. And it's very simple. He said, eat less meat, dairy, yeah. and more plants. Yeah. And that's not something new in principle. And you already see the, the vegan uh, wave is happening across uh, hospitality. Yeah, and I was really interested to see the the statistics and the way he breaks it down. The number of um, calories you know gained per kilo of you know CO two emissions coming off, and the comparisons. It's um, it's quite stark the differences between say beef and, and a soybean. And and as someone who has always been a, a, a carnivore and eating meat, you know over the last few years, you can't avoid these arguments um, and seeing the information. And it does get to a point when you realise you can. It's only through stubbornness and bloody mindedness <laughs> that you that you that you can't accept those those facts. So I do think, yeah, a, a heavy reduction on uh, on the use of of eating meat for for protein, um, particularly beef and and lamb, are are considered to be, you know, the worst in terms of their sustainable performance. Um, but he even goes into how you know chickens and how um, you know even with free range chickens that are well looked after. Um, the amount of phosphates that come out of um, you know their their droppings on the ground that will then wash into the rivers and create algae blooms and stuff. So clearly there are very complex systems that go off the back of it. Um, I do also know I have heard people say that if if we tried to f- flip the entire planet to a one hundred percent vegan diet, there would also be issues um, with, with the of, of trying to make that work. Um, but I, I I haven't seen anyone give enough facts to to explain that that would be as challenging as as the way we currently deal with using animals for using animals for food um why you were you were, you're absolutely spot on there i was saying that i was thinking okay, let's put a bit of number on so a human body yes. needs 2300 around 2300 calories a day we are producing more than 5000 calories a day mm. so we are over 100% producing and lots of that just goes into to food waste there's yeah. a lot of focus on food waste but actually, if we actually could stop producing so much food, there will actually be more than enough food for everyone in the world. And there's yeah. still people go hungry to bed in this world, even though we're overproducing the amount of food. And this it's 800 million, I think, isn't it? Yeah. The latest statistic yeah. of people who are who are undernourished or malnourished, and then another two billion 
considered to have hidden hunger, which is not having enough nutrients within their diet. So the, the vitamin A, the iron, the zinc, um, but but on the surface having enough calories going into their diet. So yeah, yeah it's it's clearly, as you say, it's a, it's a big problem. And I think you're right to pull out food as well. I mean, I remember... Um, recently seeing some work the SRA um, did, um, the Andrew Stephen for Restaurant Associates, and the the program they were looking at in restaurant terms points out that between 50 and 75% of your environmental impact comes through the food that you serve, how that is sourced, prepared, wasted or not. Um, so I think it is, for any hospitality business, it, it is the right place to start. And you can make the biggest gains by looking at how you source that food and, and where it comes from. Um, and that's the, the place that anyone should really be starting. Yeah, and I think it's not only just saying, okay, well, all has to go to go vegan, as you said. I think also it's about where it's sourced from, you said. Because mm-hmm. there's also reality, some parts of the world... There's not the same access to, to, to vegetables and greens like we have here in the UK. We're very lucky that we have like, a big, big agriculture uh, history for being able in the ground we have to do potatoes. and uh, But exactly that thing about thinking about if it's, it's winter, then maybe not strawberries on the menu. Yeah. Because that doesn't give sense. No, no, ab- absolutely. Because yeah. you will transport that in. So besides that, you're actually consuming something that's probably been grown in another sustainable way because a lot of energy and light has been used to keep it up in wherever it comes from holland or wherever it comes from spain actually it's also been transported and then again there's energy used again so it's also about thinking about when is this in season i also think about what is your prep for that to get it to the table yeah i think that it is a complex thing but actually if you start to think seasonal as you say and actually start to think local. Yeah. There's actually some, you know, over time, I know there's a cost thing, but you can only change that by starting buying something yeah, else. Yeah, it's, in it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because so much of it, um, we're trying to talk about almost being progressive and a new model for hospitality, and yet this is effectively just going back to the way things always were before we created an artificial system for delivering it in a different way to try yeah. and make food cheaper. I mean, I remember hearing um, Douglas McMaster from Silo talking about the food and, and he said one of the problems is actually, you know, it's not really the politically correct thing to say, but most food is too cheap. Most food mm. should be two or three times the cost to be produced in a way that is ethical and sustainable. Um, and that that can come across as a very kind of easy um privileged middle class liberal opinion um but it's probably true um and the reality is that if that is true and we we do need to make things work that way then we need to not just alter behavior but we need to alter the systems to (laughs) to make that the norm rather than the kind of just the bit that the rich people can afford um which i think is a certainly a, uh, an interesting challenge around that but yeah uh, the idea of going local and seasonal i mean it, it sounds it shouldn't it's not even it's not a revolution is it, <laughs> it, it but it, it's it's just it should be the basic starting point although it does get complex right because you want to drink wine you want to have coffee um that's yeah. not going to be well wine maybe increasingly you can get some particularly in the uk but coffee is not <laughs> it's not coming from the uk and we probably never will <laughs> no exactly um so i think there's some there's there's some complexity in the system i think you'd have to you'd have to dig into but 
Yeah, and I think also it's important here that you have to start somewhere, and it's not about being. Uh, I often say to people when you talk about you know, uh, you know, doing something like you want to change because we are we are locked in the systems we're in, mm. but it's the intent and actually taking small things and moving forward. So like where you can make a big change is like going through, as you said, where you're sourcing things from. Well, what kind of uh, could we actually you know have a smaller menu? That actually, because mm-hmm. often the the menus in my world sometimes there's too much choice, and people have accepted now in the world we live in with the pandemic. I don't need that much choice. Mm-hmm. You are happy to go on and say they have one product mm. to take away. I will take that. Uh, so I don't think we as human being need all that choice, mm. and that's a problem again. Why we're doing overproduction of calories uh, in the world is that the Western world just wants too much choice, and now suddenly we have other parts of the world that's catching up yeah. economically like India and China now they also want choice and I think that's there where the burning platform from a food point of view and, and touching on what you said before um, I think Julian Metcalf the, the founder of Pret and also Michael Pollan the, the food uh, expert from the US and they also talk about you know it, it should be a right to have a healthy food or mm. you know organic food should be available to any human being it was in the past you know everybody could afford potatoes but now as Mike and Pollen says, it's cheaper in some villages in Mexico to bri- buy Coca-Cola than get water and, <laughs> yeah. and vegetables. So you can see that that's, that's the challenge in a way because it's subsidized. The, the, there's something that's gone wrong mm. on the scale uh, there. And I think it's just about, as you say, the how, 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 how do we value food yeah. in a way? Because in the past... Um, uh, I think you can see that in France and Italy still a majority, a bigger majority than a UK household in those countries would go to buy food that's good for you yeah. or better quality. It doesn't mean it's artisan. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about good produce. Yeah. The, actually, that's where it starts. You know, If you have good produce, you also don't need to add so many things, salt, sugar, and stuff like that to make it taste good because it automatically just tastes better. So I think there is a whole, you know, there's a complex thing here, you say, because it's not something a restaurateur can change or restaurant owner, but they can actually start doing small things that actually would make a very big difference. Mm. And of course, food for food waste is one of them. And again, as you said, there's already a, a vegan approach, but of the, I, I'm i a bit sometimes, I think that there's, there's lots of good thing in the vegan uh, wave right now as long as it doesn't become substitute and actually become engineered vegan food because mm. I'm also a bit scared when I hear about engineered food uh, especially with soybeans and so on because that's also not good for the planet because then you have to cut down the rainforest and we need the the, the, the wild land the rainforest to actually to, to get the planet to breed so we cannot like David Attenborough shows in that movie we keep on uh, cutting down forests uh, we, we're going to be out of you know fresh air and water at some point and that's going to be a catastrophe and he draws that picture let's not go into that but what i think is interesting is that we need to rewilding we let nature mm. grow wild again and actually stop trying to engineer too many things with the planet and actually cut down on animal farming that's one of the biggest thing but coming back to the vegan thing i think it's really good you just have to be careful it doesn't become a commercial thing and and, and you are vegan or not vegan because it can almost yeah. be really like with the smokers back in the old days when suddenly you're not allowed to smoke anymore you're almost naughty when you were a smoker mm. that's people individual choice so there's the the, the 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 vegans are not better than anyone else they're, they're taking a very 
good choice because it's good for the planet. I totally agree with that. But also we need to find a way where we can take people on this journey because it's like, you know, it's it's years. It's 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 forty, fifty years of behaviors. Yeah. We need to adjust. It it's really interesting. And I think as soon as you start getting into those kind of conversations, I, I'm always I'm always torn because part of me agrees entirely with the principles and the direction and the idea of that and I also believe that you need leaders to kind of push in a direction and and to kind of highlight this stuff i'm i'm always very nervous of the word should being used in pretty much in pretty much any any context ever because i think if if you actually if you zoom all the way out when we're talking about climate change and saving the planet actually i'm pretty sure the planet's gonna be fine it just might not be inhabitable by humans or any other life forms similar to us or that are around with us now on that planet so actually what we're talking about is really preservation of our species and way of life now you could conceivably someone could choose well i'm not fussed about that and then they can carry on doing they're living the way they are and their business as usual and the fact that climate change is such a slow motion car crash historically a bit faster now to be honest um, a bit harder to ignore but someone could do that and can i can i uh, as a philosopher can i can i can i disagree with that point of view i don't know if i can but i do think that if you buy into the idea as he as as he outlines in the book about all human beings have value all you know sentient beings have value then from that principle develops a kind of allergy to self-entitlement that what we want should not come at the expense of others and therefore for me if you believe that principle then you have to look at addressing climate change and how we affect the planet because it will affect other people and that's that's my own motivation for it i mean i want to live as i said before a a generous happy life where i can be with my family and my friends and i can travel and eat at nice restaurants and have nice food but i really do not want that to come at anyone else's expense or the planet's and i think for me that's that that is is the argument i get to and then you can build everything else off the back of it so (laughs) i always tend to zoom out a bit far but and I, uh, you're spot on again because also it's about I, I look at my kids and think what kind of you know planet do I leave them because that also decides what kind of opportunities mm. they have the, the, there's not, not going to be great opportunities if we are struggling for surviving as a species mm. because then we that's what we're going to be doing Yeah, we're actually going to go back almost in, in time um, and, and maybe sometimes I think also he, he, he asked the question, do we actually always need to evolve in the speed we've done, the, especially the last 20 to 30 years, the last three decades? Mm. Maybe there's no need for that. Actually, maybe it is actually, you know, maybe we actually need actually to turn down for the growth. Kind well, of that's exactly what yeah. um, Kate Raworth talks about in Donor Economics. It's one of the principles, the, the last one on the list there, was it number seven? Was um, that we need to become agnostic about growth. It's not mm-hmm. that growth is positive and um not having any growth is negative or declining is negative we just need to that that is just a variable um in or a metric within the life cycle of uh, a civilization a society a company that will change (laughs) across its natural its natural life and natural existence and i think it is that it's we kind of live in a culture where we idolize growth like a company that that doubles triples 
quadruples in size has these huge ambitions we almost without question look up to without thinking not not without thinking maybe but without really digging into is that is that good what are you doing that for how is that going to affect everything what are you replacing or, or are you just using up more resources in pursuit of our own individual kind of ego driven life to try and you know be the best we can be and, and do what we want to do um so i do think it's a it's a it's a challenging concept but yeah we do need to again zoom out and then but oh, i guess we'll deal with another another episode we'll look at that whole purpose yeah. profit conundrum because i do think it's it's complex and it's easy to slip into a um kind of uh academic detached or moral point of view and just say hey it should all be this and we've got to make the world a better place but i, I think we need to deal with this podcast we need to be actually asking some of those harder questions on the flip side of uh okay well how do you actually make that work and what <laughs> what does that mean and does everyone really have to buy into that i think that's really where it gets quite interesting yeah and i think that's what you know uh, as we said before we don't have all the answers but we're trying to figure it out aren't we um what 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 could it look like what, definitely what what is the things we need to talk more about because it's a bit like anything else there's a bit like when you hear a lot of uh, leadership experts talk about in a moment we're in a crisis you can only talk and act out of a crisis so you need to talk about your problems to solve them but also mm-hmm. you need to act on them mm. and it's a bit like the same with the, the climate change thing and then instead of making it that thing that, that sits over in the corner start talking about so again coming back to what, what can we then do in hospitality we talked a bit about you know there's a lot already plant-based on the menu and think about where you're sourcing things from again food waste give you, you heard the numbers double up yeah so if you can do something around food waste, every little one percent you can improve on your food for waste every day or behavior around food waste if it's buying into technology that helps you getting a better overview there's a great technology out there today that can help you with food waste i know there's a company called winnow that work with hotels and big catering operator but also just getting disciplined about what goes in the bin make it visible like mm. a uh, silo have done and yeah. Dr. Master they, they make it very visible they have no bins in the kitchen yeah. there's a rule of no bin and they have a, a compost machine that takes everything else outside called Bertie where they put everything in mm. and they're trying to reuse everything you know they have in that kitchen in some kind of way so that that's again go and see what they're doing and see what can you take out of that you don't need to be 100% like that but what can you actually the small things you can change around waste in the hill well and the other thing with waste is that actually it, it's one of those areas of being more sustainable that can have a direct effect on your costs because the less you waste the less money you're throwing in the bin right yeah i mean it's kind of as simple as that so there's there is a natural alignment between sustainability and um commerciality in that in that particular instance yeah. so if you can ingrain the behavioral change to, to to build your culture that that is not really acceptable um you know from that purpose driven point it also ties into the bottom line which is the kind of double win that we know no no one can say no to and, uh, you know, the interesting thing is that, you know, and I, I'm actually not, um, I think of it, I use you indicated, you know, like I'm not against meat and dairy, mm. but I think it's about thinking about where does this meat and dairy come from? What kind of life have these animals have? What has been put in these animals to serve this? And I think that's where, you know, operators and hospitality leaders can start asking those questions so they are very aware about from the source it comes from and don't only look at the price. If the price is too good to be true, 
there's probably something wrong where it comes from. Mm. It's probably not the best in the world. So it's actually not saying no to have, have meat on the, on the menu, but when you choose to have meat, make sure it comes from a, a, a good source. And again, it's a complex world, I know, and we can start talking about sourcing and accreditation and is the X for a good place? Is this farm actually existing and all that? But that's not what we're talking about. That, But again, maybe start thinking about, because I also think this is going to be interesting from a consumer point of view. I can hear that that uh, what I'm trumming up in the market is people starting asking more about where things comes from. And if I eat meat in this place, how has this animal been treated? Has mm-hmm. it actually been pumped with uh, medicine? Or uh, And they're very aware about that. Uh, does it come from the other side of the world? How have this been fished? Is this overfishing? And so on. So there is starting to be a wave. And I know it's still a small part of the market. Maybe not the masses. But I think that as people start now to take the thing in, they had had time to watch Netflix. Yeah. You will see a lot of behavioral change. And that's also where I hear from some operator what they're selling now. Yeah. They're selling definitely more plant-based options just because people have become more aware. And they're also aware they need to be healthy and strong with a pandemic out there because food fuels your immune system, first of all. And plants are probably better for us. We all feel a bit better when we have a bit more plants, I think. Energy consumption. So let's let's just touch on that quickly. Um, Yeah, there's a lot you can do, especially when you, if you are, we are in this moment of reset. There's a lot of new things coming in, new concepts. Maybe you're coming back. Uh, There's probably a lot of thinking you can do around bar how you're going to install electricity. I know when you're in the city, yeah. you can't have solar cells maybe and stuff like that. But there's maybe things already there where you can start thinking about it. Uh, you know, water consumption. Water yeah. is a big issue in, in in restaurant. I can remember that myself, trying to reduce water use, uh, especially because the tap is just running. Yeah, so exactly. There's two parts, isn't there? One is how you set it up to be efficient in the first place. And, the, and then the second is definitely behavioral change. I, mean, I was talking to an area manager for a... Um, a pub group and he said one of his his, his absolute pet hates was when he'd go around to look at all of the the restaurant or the pubs he'd go back into the kitchen and and the taps would be running the you know the pans would be boiling just ready obviously to to be able to respond as quickly as possible to what they're doing or what the tasks they need to perform but it's just hideously uh you know wasteful and inefficient um and we we do need to do adjust that i mean from that perspective from design uh, from a design perspective when we look at it uh, that's the kind of termed operational carbon when we're looking at how much gas and electricity we're using water usage i guess doesn't really come into operational carbon but that whole energy and efficiency um, is quite a key thing to look at when you're setting up a restaurant Um, it is one of the areas that we find you know more energy efficient equipment can be more expensive at the outset which is you know it does make it a challenge for some people um but i think there are other strategies you can look at in terms of how you heat and cool the space you know are there passive things you can do that aren't you know that aren't that expensive um you know an, an opening window is a it's br- a brilliant can be a brilliant way to cool the space um and it's not expensive yeah again some of these solutions are looking backwards not forwards um it depends there's clearly so many variables involved in any sort of um you know commercial kitchen and, and restaurant environment but it, but it's always worth seeing what you can do to reduce those because as with everything else with the food waste if we reduce the energy we use and the water we use it's gonna save money which is always what we want 
Yeah, we take the the food and the, and the energy. Um, there's an interesting project going on right now. It's called the Geeky App, and they're trying to create like a dashboard where you actually report in your your numbers. So you need to report food waste in a specific way. You need to use your electricity in a specific way, and actually you can then start seeing what your role is in a local area where they you live. So this is run by AI, machine learning. And I think machine learning would help us a lot as we mm. go on. You see it's coming in on scheduling now in the industry, but actually where where it really could make some both profit from for profit point of view, but also for an impact on the planet is definitely around food. And that's when your winnow has been around for years. And I think you will see at, at this as, as people now digitalize or the industry are digitalizing in this speed. I think this is going to be one of the biggest areas where you will find both profitability because we need that as survive. And I'm not saying, we're, oh, let's not talk about growth of business. Let's talk about sustainable growth mm-hmm. where actually you use your growth to actually to invest back into the business. And maybe you don't grow at the rate you did before and, and you touched about growth before. Uh, and we can talk a bit about that when we come to profit. And, and purpose but I think the problem is also uh, Tom Peter says once uh, what uh, get measured get done I think it's about how do we measure success mm. as we go forward uh, on uh, not only on food waste but I, from a business point of view and a growth point of view um, and I think it starts with us being a bit critical and ask our questions are we actually doing things that is uh, like my Mike uh, says in his book he says that uh, are you uh, wh- why are you here are you here just to make profit are you here actually to impact some of the big challenges in the world mm. besides because you need to meet the organization to survive but then when you found the business model that works for that how do you then use that profit to make a positive impact on people communities uh, and the planet absolutely and i think that's yeah that's that's really interesting is it because well, i guess we're starting talking about there's there's no planet b and, and a big part of that is around the climate change and sustainability but you you almost can't deal with the problems and challenges that big without dealing with the other questions around um you know populations and economics and and all of those other pieces that tie into that right because that is part of part of the mix um it's a whole systemic um change that we're talking about requiring to to happen um, which is a challenge for businesses, right? Because how do we then, as as business owners, how do we try and build a framework for our businesses that can actually respond to that in a meaningful way? Obviously, we've outlined some some tips there and some direction for hospitality around food and waste and energy. Um, but I guess finding that structure that we can work within to to be better is what we're, I guess, we're craving to, for, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think that's the journey we are on. We, we, we don't have that model, as I said before, but we're, we are like, we, we had so many conversations, David and I, and there's other people we talk with as well. There's like, there must be a different model mm. for, for hospitality. And, uh, you know, Mike's book doesn't give you the model, but he, he maybe helps you quantify things that you maybe couldn't, so you couldn't talk about it in a business context. And yeah. that's what I love about it. It's a fact again. But the, the last thing I want to touch on when we talk about Mike's book, and, and, and there's much more in it. There's so much facts and data. We will not stand and talk about all the data here. Uh, the book is uh, available on Amazon, amazing book. But I think the last thing he touched on in his book is very important. If we need to get this to work, 
is all about us as people, as us as individual that need to make small behavioral change. It doesn't mean it's only business's responsibility. Everybody mm. has a responsibility within that. But again, how can you actually get people change best when they are comfortable and safe? Mm. This is a very difficult situation where now, let's not take it in, in the context of pandemic. But if we think back about, we all know what create great performance in the business is create an environment people thrive in. And I think he mentioned that in that book, and I thought that that's interesting. He actually, say the starting point is that actually we create uh, everyday life where we are not worried about things until we take shortcuts. So we actually are thriving in jobs. So actually trying to create great workplaces, especially in the times we're in now, I think this is going to be critical to uh, retain, you know, to take the business contact, retain talent. Talent will go where there's meaning and purpose behind what you're doing. I know people need to uh, get a job and maybe to take a job, but that will be a very interim period into to the point where they, they find the place that actually makes them tick. And I think that's where, where we can, you know, because we can do so many quick wins in, in from a hospitality point of view when it comes to we can change the, the way we serve food. We can change the way we consume energy. We just need to start talking about this story because I know a lot of operators out there doing it. Um so I think again, if you can create, you know, a great, meaningful job, a mission that's bigger than growing a hundred restaurant, uh, make sure people are fairly paid, things are working in that place, and uh, thereby you're starting putting people first. And I think actually some of those other things, all these behavioral things, what change we want to see in the world will happen because we know about, you know, more than eighty-three people, eighty-three percent of the population in the world, according to Gallup. It's not very engaged when they go to work and feel switched off. Mm. And I know it's a complex thing. It's not the employer's fault, but the employer can do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. I just reflecting on you. You mentioned put people first, um, and I know that's a big thing for you, <laughs> generally with hospitality mavericks. Um, but I think it's interesting that we're talking about sustainability and the planet, but actually, just from zooming out, we're really talking about the human race and the human species uh, and that the best way to deal with that is to zoom right in to the individual person and then the, the individual actions that we can all take which does make it um, a much more manageable scale for us to understand because on the other side I do agree with you I think artificial intelligence uh, machine learning is probably going to be I mean I'm not an expert on this but I'm going to throw the theory out there anyway I think that it's only going to be with those elements the, the the abilities that come with ai that will be able to solve and and process the complexity of the systems thinking required to make those things at a bigger scale um so i guess the question for me comes back to again what should we be doing as individuals which you've kind of outlined some of that that stuff there and then what do we as companies as businesses how do we respond to to those challenges and, and how do we build a framework that we can make sure that we're holding ourselves to account to, to be making those changes. Um, and I guess that will lead us nicely into our next episode where we dig into the idea of B Corps and hopefully see if they've got an answer for us. Yes, David, I think that's a perfect way to end this episode. Excellent. So that's the end for today. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that it sparked off an idea or two for you. 
We'll make sure to include any links and references in the show notes. But if you'd like to start a conversation, you can email michael at hospitalitymavericks.com or david at objectspaceplace.com. You can also find them roaming around on LinkedIn, so feel free to connect. Finally, if you're enjoying this series, please consider letting the world know by honoring us with a five-star rating or even giving us a review. Okay, goodbye for now. Catch you next time for more discussions on hospitality and the infinite game.